Kathy. I'm Anatole. And I'm Justin. And, and this, this is Comics First. Thank you, everyone, for listening to another Comics First podcast. This is part two of three of our podcast series on memoirs in the city, New York stories, and those who live them. Uh, today we'll be talking about Shortcomings by Adrian... I think Tomini is actually a good, okay. a good way to say it. Yeah. Uh, well, we're so sorry for, missing, for mispronouncing your name, but we really want to pronounce it the right way. Um, but anyway, cool graphic novel, and we're going to talk about it. But first, I uh, just want to remind you that you can find us on the web at comicsfirst.com, on Facebook at facebook.com slash comicsfirst, on Twitter at twitter.com slash at com- sorry, twitter.com slash comics first and um youtube.com slash comics first tv where we're bringing you weekly video reviews on comics that are just coming out um so first i'd like to quickly introduce everyone who's here of course kathy is here kathy's here hello hello kathy nice to be back um travis hey how's it going um karen hi everyone uh josh hello and Derek is back, too. Hey, what's going on, everyone? Okay, so let's um, dive into Shortcomings. Uh, Shortcomings is a story, uh, assumingly a fictional story, about Ben Tanaka, a uh, Japanese-American theater manager. Uh, living Movie in, theater manager. Movie theater manager living in San Francisco uh, and his relationships and shortcomings, as it goes, um, in, in his life. Uh, he's he's dating a girl named Miko, uh, and also who is uh, Japanese. Um, she is very politically active, and they have a lot of issues in their relationships. I, I think one thing to talk about is, you know, why do we choose shortcomings as part of this um, series of um, memoirs in the city? Because a lot of it does not take place in New York. A lot of it takes place in San Francisco. Um, but I thought a lot of the significant moments happened when he was in um, New York. And um, a lot of, although Karen would argue with me, but a lot of change, I thought, occurred there. And... Um, but we can just say the ending of the story. We can read that the ending of the story took place there, right? Yeah. Um, so that was, you know, one significant reason. And, you know, here we are. We're about to have a conversation on race. And, you know, I'm a little nervous to have it because, you know, as you are whenever you have a, a conversation about race, one of us here says something stupid and ignorant. Please call us out on it. We'll address it. And um, that brings us into our conversation. So what were your initial reactions to the book when you first picked it up? Because we discussed uh, My New York Diary last week. And... Um, it, it was something that gave these really incredulous reactions when you first read them. So uh, I was curious, Kathy, what you thought of Shortcomings when you first read it. Um, yeah, so I'm familiar with Adrian. To- did we say Tomine is what we decided? or Tomine? Tomine. Tomine. Okay, I'm, I'm familiar with his work from like New Yorker covers. He does a lot of uh, incidental art for other things. Um, and this is the first narrative work of his that I'm reading. And I, I was struck by how clean everything is. I really liked that and i think it it fit the story of like interpersonal relationships that he's trying to tell um really well so yeah my my first impression was like wow clean lines compositions uncluttered like nice (laughs) what about you travis yeah no i totally agree um the the penciling was very crisp very neat everything was very well defined and i think each individual character was you know, so identifiable by their own uh, image, which sometimes can be a little hard to pull off in a black and white comic, you know, where there's no coloring to kind of assist, you know, with, with things like The Walking Dead, sometimes it gets a little confusing and hard to tell characters apart, but that's not really the case here with shortcomings. Yeah, it didn't really happen, right? Uh, Karen, what'd you think? 
I actually, I really enjoyed the the actual artwork. I thought, um, like Kathy said, the lines were really clean and neat. Um, and it, it really, I think, helped move the story along. It, it was very fluid. Um, but uh, while I did enjoy the artwork, the story, the storyline, well, the story was okay, but I, when I first picked up picked up the book, it just struck me struck me how negative um, Ben was, and that was a kind of the first at the first moment I picked it up, I felt really conflicted, and I was like, oh, this guy's kind of he's kind of a like a not kind of a jerk, he's a really big jerk, and it's it's hard for someone to make that big of an impression when you just meet them. Mm-hmm. So that definitely struck me. And we'll get into more about why you thought that later, yeah, of yeah, course. Um, Josh, what did you think? Uh, I guess the best way I could put this is it was chillingly real. Uh, so. I guess we'll get more into that later. <laughs> well, yeah. Derek, what about you? Yeah, I mean, for the most part, I agree about the artwork. Um, as far as the story goes, I really applaud the author's kind of honesty. Um, I felt like he was willing to tackle a subject that makes maybe a lot of people within the Asian American community like kind of nervous. And uh, yeah, I thought, I, I mean, I couldn't put it down. I finished it in one sitting. And uh, it was really... The artwork also helped because it was really easy to go from panel to panel. Like it was organized so well, and the text was very neat. And it was, I never had. Sometimes when reading a comic, I'm like, wait, which bubble should I read first? Yeah, or something. Not, not this one. Yeah, I thought uh, the words um, or the word "clean" is a really great way to describe it, and that sort of really helped move it along, as you guys yeah. were saying. Um, but, you know, you were saying that it was, you said that it was chillingly real, Josh, yeah. and you said that it tackled some issues that the Asian American community um, <clears throat> is afraid to address. Or just um, it makes people nervous. It makes people nervous. People makes people nervous. It it now. Um, and a lot of you guys were here for the American Born Chinese um, podcast. So, you know, I want to ask how this relates to that in terms of what you were just talking about. Well, in terms compared to American Born Chinese, I would say that this one, at least at this point in my life, it hits closer to home. It takes place in, I mean, I forget. Does American Born Chinese take place in California? Yes, uh, I believe so. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, either way, I just, I felt like American Born Chinese took place sometime in the 90s, and the dynamics have changed a lot between then and now, and... um yeah, with because I grew up around a lot of Korean Americans, and Ben's, you know, I guess his best friend in the story is also Korean American, and um, yeah, I'll, I mean, I'll get back to you. I have to think. I want to. I, I have something to say. I want to add for the record that me and Derek, uh, Derek and I are Asian, so there, there's yeah. a more oh yeah biased yeah, perspective yeah. on that. But um, as far as that question itself is like, to me, both of them were pretty real, like and relatable. But American born Chinese is more of like a coming of age. Uh, story, uh, like if I read that when I was a teenager, that I definitely would have res- that would have resonated deeper with me. But this, and it's not just the the, the Asian thing, because I while that's like a huge part of the story, like the relationship part is also a huge part of the story, and that's not specific to any race, right? That's mm-hmm. something we all deal with, and so like I guess so yeah, it's more real to me. Uh, it's more real to my experiences. So, yeah, definitely. Um, I hope I can ask this right, but I guess I, I want to ask, like, what does it say about where we are in our culture and in comics that I'm relating American-born Chinese with shortcomings? Um, and how did you guys feel about even the fact that I asked it? Do you think it's a normal question like that most people would associate the two after reading them so closely together? Yeah, I think it's perfectly fair to compare the two. Um, 
I don't think there's a whole lot of comics on this subject matter, so it's only natural. Well, I think the big difference between the two, um, American-born Chinese and shortcomings, is the audience. I think shortcomings is talking about a coming of age, but a whole different kind of coming of age. You know, he's still very immature. He's reaching a new understanding about himself and who he is, and so that whole you know, identity formation kind of aspect is something that's kind of occurring in both. But I think American born Chinese was, you know, like Josh was saying much more of like a, if I'm a teenager, I, I could connect with this a little bit better. I think it's all about the audience. You know, American born Chinese is much more accessible for a juvenile crowd while shortcomings is most definitely an adult book. But I think they do both share in uh, the major themes of that transitory period in your life. All right, so getting into shortcomings then, and getting into race. I mean, what's <clears throat> Ben's relationship like with his race? This is one issue that I kind of take um, with the with the book. Why, like, I do agree with Derek. I think it is. I do applaud the fact that he brings up this really um, difficult issue, um, and he explores it. I don't completely agree with the way that he's exploring it i think that the characters are a bit one-dimensional to me i i I understand the idea of maybe self-loathing but i think it would be hard to find someone who really would just be so one-sided about their culture would just have so much disdain like i think most people you know have a more and, complicated relationship. Yeah, with it, have yeah. a more complex relationship with it. Like they ha- are more conflicted and not so much like self-hating, you know. And that I didn't I don't I I just thought it was too one-dimensional for me. It was hard for me to get behind and relate to and, you know. So that was that was one issue that I took and I think it that kind of goes with a lot a lot of the characters in the book. I feel like a lot of he, you know, there's not a lot of books exploring Asian culture and the issues that, you know, arise within them. And I feel like he is kind of representing it. He's a big representation. So because of that, he really kind of has a responsibility to do so accurately. And I don't I don't really think he is. I think he's just kind of enforcing the like injurious stereotypes that are already there. For example, like the self-loathing, you know, Ben and the um like the man-eating lesbian, like his best friend. Um and just like the kind of um you know, the ditzy white girls that he dates. It's just I think it's too one-sided for me. It's too one-dimensional. I can't relate to it as much. Like real life is a lot messier than that. It's not as clean-cut. See, I don't know that I would say that the characters are one-dimensional. I'm not sure I can agree with that. I think his uh, negativity doesn't really come from a place of like self-loathing or self-hatred until much later in the book when he starts to understand certain aspects of himself. I think early on it's a frustration with people who are more connected to the culture than he ever really was because he was always born in America. He never had the experience of living in you know the country of his heritage. He never had that real you know rich uh, culture involved in his life from an early age. So I think he's looking at everyone else and seeing the way that they're acting, but he's he's himself is very much more of an American than a Japanese guy, I see. The, the thing I would say about that is that it's one thing for you not to understand something or not to relate to it, but he was he was kind of hating on it. In the first scene, you saw him just totally shit all over. Oh, can you? shit all over like this movie about that everyone else really liked and kind of just being like oh these people are all really stupid because they like this film I and I don't think that's coming from a place of just like being objective I think that's coming from a place of like 
you know, just not really, it's not like, oh, I don't understand the culture. I don't relate to it. It's just like, oh, I don't really like this culture. I don't agree with it. My impression of the film was that like, it was as treacly as possible. Like the, the line that like my grandfather was like a fortune cookie, I think would make any reflective person (laughs) groan. But like, definitely we're supposed to notice like how set apart Ben is Mm -hmm. in that scene. Like how everyone else is able to kind of like, yeah, it's good enough for what it is. I'm having a good time and he can't. But I I think that there, I mean, there is a quality issue with that movie and it's not just total. I I guess I can see that. Yeah. I don't know. I think um, definitely there are a lot of characters, a a number of the characters aren't really reflective about themselves. Like Mm -hmm. I don't think Ben thinks enough about himself to have complicated thoughts or like to admit that he has complicated thoughts about race it's certainly in the beginning because like he's not even aware that he's an asshole for most of the book um and like i had a problem with the the youngest white girl character i felt like she really was like a stereotype like yeah oh i take pictures of the toilet everywhere like yeah right (laughs) but i knew people like that in college so like and and also she's young so it's it's more likely that she would be less um, complicated person. So, like, I kind of see where you're coming from, but I think also it feeds into the the character's oh, growth the way I mm-hmm. read it. Uh, I was going to say, I will agree that I think that's another issue I took is that the characters are just not reflective at all. They're just kind of going by their everyday life being, the you know, flawed, and then that's it. They just stay that way. Yeah, but I, I don't think this book is so much more about the relationship that a person has with himself as the relationships they have with other people. He comes to a new understanding about himself, but it's only through his connections or you know, disconnections with the other people that he ends up getting to realize all this stuff about himself. So I think by not having that you know, interior, introspective sort of you know, considering going on here, I think we're, we're forced to see the connections between the characters a bit more. And you know, analyze the relationships themselves. Shit's about to get real. You guys said a lot, so I'm trying to cover all the things you guys said. Um, I felt like I, I yeah, I don't really agree with any of you guys, but because I felt like they were all very three dimensional, but not as apparent as you see, right? This guy hates his race, like, or he has definite self hate, but he's not admitting it to himself, and that's that's what the the comic I think is showing. Yeah. Like, <clears throat> he obviously has these issues, but like you said, he is an asshole. He doesn't realize it. Most assholes don't realize it. You know, like, that's, the, that's what makes them an asshole. Uh, I say that because I am an asshole. You should use us. No, and, no, <laughs> and here's where I'm about to shit, say why it's, shit's about to get real. And when you said that someone like this possibly maybe couldn't exist or it's too one-dimensional, stereotypical, here's the thing. Stereotypes kind of exist for a reason, right? Those kind of people do exist out there. And... As far as the realness of this person, I can really say that it's pretty fucking real because I related so close to this guy a lot of times in the story that it fucking like scared me. Uh, and so definitely I can see that someone like this can exist. You know, and, and there are a lot of people. Like I grew up in a very Asian neighborhood. There were a lot of like people who were very proud of their race. I had my own problems with race, uh, race. You know, being born in China, but then moving here, it's like, well, where where am I? You know, which identity am I? So, I definitely can understand why he has those feelings. And but again, to the other point where the characters are one dimensional, I feel like all the characters had many three dimensional facets of, of themselves that 
it's it's hard to find, but you gotta really kind of like it's not really even at pulling at strings, but you gotta really kind of analyze it to to find the different dimensions of each character. So did you feel that? Um, oh, no, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I kind of agree. It's this isn't a story like the story doesn't lead you by the hand. You know, the, you get snippets of their personality through the conversations they have, and I think that for the most part, I mean, the one main character, Ben, is fleshed out in an interesting way like you can tell how stubborn he is and how like on some level he's also pretty self-loathing um how he always thinks the grass is greener on the other side i think it's just maybe because uh, we don't have uh, any direct access into his thoughts that's why it may appear like one-dimensional and but i think if you um like if you just analyze what he's had to say throughout the entire story you can get some uh, interesting glimpses into his and the actions, his actions, actions. Speak, yeah, you know, speak for themselves. In terms of the memoir genre, I mean, this was different, right? It's not really a memoir, but it's it's in the same vein as a memoir. I feel like, but I don't know. We were less um, shown less of what he was thinking. I think, and I think we're left up to make some to figure out some other things about him through um, what was not said. And I think that's the author's point is to invoke thought, right? And to, to make you ask the questions. Like, if his point was just to say, oh, this is this crazy, bitter guy, and his relationships, how they don't work, like, yeah, you can just take it at that value. But, like, his point is to ask the deeper questions through what happens in the comic. So, did you think that um, his relationship with his race is symptomatic of, the, of a typical minority experience in the U.S.? I, I think maybe people like that exist within a lot of different minorities, mm-hmm. but I don't know if you can't... I don't, I don't think it's fair to say that it's typical because there's also a lot of people who are proud of their heritage or there are a lot of people who are maybe, I feel like, overly proud of their heritage to borderline on, like, um, supremacists. But yeah. I would say, like, people um, would criticize the U.S. and say, oh, you guys are a melting pot. You force people to give up mm-hmm. their... their beliefs to conform to what it is to be an American and um, I, I guess that's part of um, that thought that those thoughts are part of why I'm asking that question too. on some level I think Ben has always felt like he was on the outside looking in and that was I mean I think a lot of minorities can identify with that we're not exactly the faces that you see up on billboards and like in leading roles in movies and on TV um, and I think the author acknowledges that and on some subconscious level, he, you know, the character of Ben is obviously attracted to white women, and I think he presents a very nuanced view of like why that is. It's not exactly just because it's self-loathing, like he hates the Asian part of him. It's also a bit of like wanting to fit in, wanting to be like part of mainstream society. You know, Yo, we'll get to that. Yeah, we yeah. will get to that. But but it's, I was gonna say like on page eighty-seven, um, mm-hmm. the the white female is referred to as a white prize. Um, but, which sort of goes along with what you're saying. That's, I don't think that's a, that's an exclusively Asian thing. Too. Oh, not no, at all, not at all. Cause, cause, it's an exclusively American right, minority. It's an American, yeah. But I will say this, though, because I do believe that Asians... Actually, not even an exclusive minority thing. I mean, the white female... No, no, the white female is, yeah, is universally a, yeah. like the number one thing. But, okay, so let me, but I will say this about the earlier point, is that I do feel that, and I don't want to speak for all minorities, right, but I do feel that like as, as, as far as the minorities are concerned, like in America... There's something to be said about like why there's a lot like I at least feel there's a lot more self-loathing Asians out there than there are let's say like African Americans or Hispanics and the reason being is like 
in our like in our culture, a lot of times, it, and I don't want to like okay, we might not get too politically correct here, but I just want like a lot of times it's okay to make fun of Asian people in front of them, right? People make uh, like do the Asian accents. They they'll say like offensive Asian terms. You won't. They, you hardly find someone say the N word in front of a black person, right? It, and and it's so like, and you have the stereotype that Asians are smart. Uh, and they're nerdy, and there's a lot of proof to that. You look at Colombia, just look around, right? Um, again, now it's, it's blanketing my whole race, but but from that culturally, they're they're like I think a lot of Asians here struggle with like that identity problem, like how do I fit in with everyone when the other you know it, it's just tough, like especially when you it, it, you know like. It's hard to say, but it, here's the thing: like growing up, it was tough because it's like it's almost like everyone else had their thing going for them, right? If you even if you want to go on the most basic playground rules, right? Playground jokes: black guys have huge dicks, right? That's a joke, but but ultimately that's seen as a positive in our culture, right? Uh, whether you want to like justify or not, but like the stereotype that Asians have small dicks, that we're weak, right? We're passive. While that might be true for a lot of people, a lot of Asians have don't want to be associated with that kind of stereotype, and so they and that's why I think the self-loathing comes from you know the and all the anger. And I say this because I had a lot of it myself. Um, what I was gonna say is I think like being a minority myself, I I think a lot of us experience like that you know, kind of questioning our culture and how we fit into it, especially being American and being of another heritage. The problem, I think, is that this guy is an extreme of that. And I I don't know, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't see that that often. I think there are varying levels of it. And I think it, you know, most people, you know, that's that's an issue everyone faces is this idea of fitting in. And I think obviously for someone who is of some kind of foreign descent, it's even more so. But the thing is, I think a lot of people deal with that conflict, but they don't they don't present it in the same way that this guy does. So in the story, Ben actually grew up in Oregon, right? And he was uh, like practically the only Asian person there around, or basically the, the only non-white person around. Um, and I think that plays into it. You asked a question about, is it, typical of a like minority experience i think what his minority is experience is a lot different from ours i have to recognize that because me josh and karen also we all grew up in communities where i mean we had a lot of fellow minorities around mm-hmm. you know and i think that changes the way that maybe we view our but heritage see, this is why uh, oh sorry go ahead being the only person like the odd man out in a school i think then you would have a very different view of where you come from, you would feel a lot more different and like alien. That's that a really good point. Yeah. But see, and this is why I kind of relate to the kid, to Ben. Um, in my middle school years, six through eight, I lived in very, I mean, I, I lived in a, from then till high school, I lived in a very Asian neighborhood. And middle school was when I went to a predominantly Asian school. But elementary school for me, I lived in Almani, which is pretty much 90% Hispa- uh, Mexican. Uh, and my school was called La Primavera. You know, uh, and for high school, I went to a Catholic high school, which I was like the only Chinese person in my school. So I did feel, I did, you know, face a lot of discrimination. I also faced a lot of good things too, but so in that sense, I can kind of relate to Ben a little bit more. Um, Is there anything in the story that is um, uniquely Asian? Or do you think it just goes for all minorities? 
Uh, that's hard. That's, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's question. a good question. I'm trying to like think. I don't want to like jump stay on my soapbox. Uh, just this is like a, a little thing. Um, when his lesbian friend yeah, asked I was just gonna say that to go meet her Korean parents to pretend to be uh, mm. there. Although I would, I want to say that like that is also common in other cultures, like Indian culture, just in cultures where like. You know, well, that's Asian marriage. Also. I guess, yeah, you could say that that's Asian. No, but it's very Asian in the in the sense that, like, it's not even the fact that she's gay. She, it's also the fact that she can't marry someone from a different country, even right, because her parents are so prejudiced from history. Like, that's kind of. A, I mean, a lot of other races have that too, but that's a very Asian thing that still lingers uh, to this day. I think, by and large, though, a lot of the the deep themes, like there's definitely particular instances that I think are very unique to the Asian experience. But I think the the deeper themes are pretty, you know, across the you know border. Like they, they work for every race. It's pretty universal. I I think that the scene with Alice. I mean, um, who's to say you know um, that wouldn't happen to a lesbian who was white or something? You know, having to bring home her boyfriend. I mean, it depends on the parents. So that could be. Yeah. But you know. uh, I wanted to bring up, um, in China, they actually have a website that hooks up gay men with uh, lesbian women to really? attend marriages to appease their parents. Wow. So it's a big enough phenomenon like to warrant a business. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah, because yeah, I think in, like, you know, American culture, mm. what our parents think, we ultimately don't give a shit, right? We'll marry who we want to marry. But in like Asian cultures, it's not very much not like that. A lot of times, it's more like that now. But there's a lot of still. You want to please your parents, right? You want to get your wife up. Yeah, and it's like it's not the only thing that matters. But I think we have a lot, a, a lot of cultural models of white kids in conservative families yeah. saying like, "My parents can't tell me what to do. I'm gonna do whatever I want." Like there are movies <laughs> where that happens and television shows all the time. And because we have like, like our culture popular culture is like 90% white there just aren't models of that right, for yeah, other people yeah, exactly like, uh, an Asian kid would never think to talk back to their parents mm-hmm. like they just wouldn't do that oh it happens well, I mean but like you know in a way that like they would never say fuck you to your mom like that, I've never said to my mom and I know I, I could never say that yeah, or but if I they think did that it would be scary right? it would, no like, it would be like, I would, it would be bad sorry yeah. I, I don't think that that's necessarily a uniquely Asian thing though I mean, that, I mean if not, I said that to my parents <laughs> like, no 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 yeah. I, I, I get that but I'm just saying like it's you know i think when it comes to like minority cultures it's the 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 idea of like um physical punishment is a big you know right motivator and so i think i don't know i i don't know how much it happens within like you know more americanized families but I, don't, I think once once you hit the middle class, that's not really a thing. You don't really hit your kids anymore. But I think that's a big motivator as to why you wouldn't talk back to your parents in, like, minority cultures. I mean, it happened in my household. I know, like, recently there's been more of a, a sway away from, like, spanking your kids or whatever because of, you know, child abuse and all that has become a real big issue in America. But, I mean, it's... It, it, you know, a spanking was pretty traditional in America for the longest time, too, you know? Look, okay, here's can, the thing, though, like, and I don't want to, again, I don't want to blanket stereotype, but white people spank. Asian people do not spank. They, it gets violent. Yeah, so. I would say within minority cultures, it gets very violent. At least and that's again, not speaking experience. for all of it, but a lot of times it's very violent. Um, I can just say that it carries on to the middle class. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm and, and I, I, I don't think it's a class issue. 
Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I think it is a class issue. I think that um, you know, when you are when you have when you have more on your plate, you're more likely to snap at your kids than reason with them because you're more educated and you really think about how your kid is growing up and what kind of trauma you're going to give to them. And I think that has a lot to do with class. And I think I do think in the past, maybe like when we were growing up, the middle class, um, they probably were more for physical punishment. But I want to say like the idea of like really coddling your child and, you know, that that's that's becoming more prevalent within middle class now. Because I could also argue that it depends on the person, right? Because there are some people who can yeah, handle being yeah. in those really tough situations and yeah. not hit their kids. And there are some people who can be middle class and just under some dress. I mean, yeah, I guess it, it will also be beat their preference. Kids yeah. Or rich people, good rich people hire people to beat their yeah, kids. Yeah, I, I wanna, yeah. As a nanny, I'm so I'm a nanny, and so I'm kind of talking with a little bit of experience, but not a lot. But I want to say, like, most of the people that I work for wouldn't hit their kids. yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you have the experience of what you've seen. Yeah, and all yeah, that. yeah, yeah. But there's more out there, obviously. So, so we got to move on from the conversation about race. But before we do, uh, is there any like um, anything else that anybody wants to just say about it? Like even moving on, it, it's obviously going to come of up. Of course, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 No, you can't say you can't, anything about yeah. race. <laughs> the rest of the He's white now. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in this segment, we're going to be talking about the rest of the cast of shortcomings, and uh, in addition to Ben Tanaka, the, the rest of the cast. Um, was arguably three-dimensional. Well, to me, what I found really strange was this guy who's, like, obviously, well, arguably kind of self-loathing, would be uh, in a relationship with someone who's the polar opposite of him. Like, to me, that doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, they say opposites attract. I think it, but it's hard for two completely extremes. Like, that's like a... That's like Ron Swanson and a vegan. Could you imagine that? Like, a, who was the first one? From Parks and Rec. Oh, sorry. Like I was like, who is that? As as young adults, like they, uh, I mean, I'm not sure. I, I guess they they suppose they're supposed to have been together for a couple of years mm-hmm. at least. So like, it's it's pretty easy to imagine. Like before she found something that she was passionate about, like oh, I see. that that kind of that negativity can be kind of attractive. Like, oh, this this person's cool. They know that everything is bad, and no one else <laughs> knows that. Like, uh, I, I don't know. Um, I guess I can see I can see where that might come from. It it is kind of like Travis was saying, like a a, a second level coming of age story for all of the characters i think Mm -hmm. so i think we uh, i kind of assumed that they she she had matured like faster than he had Mm. in the relationship and i have to say you see something in this book that you don't normally see which is a guy turned down sex because he was angry at her right yeah yeah but still i mean she uh, was i mean it worked that's the surprising thing because women can do that and it always works, but when men do it, it's not usually. Really I don't want to say it always works. Well, for the most part, like <laughs> if a woman no, denies it. No, because I've to... I've gotten people mad at me for that before. Are are we talking about the time where he's watching the DVDs that came in in the mail and oh, she walks yeah. in? Yes. Yeah. yeah, and she wants. She's like, "You want to go to bed?" Yeah, yeah, that part. See, like, I, I I just took that as him being so into the movies that he was oh, watching no, and just not. like not at all interested in whatever no, she was, that was up to definitely I, him saying I guess f you i don't want to sleep with you tonight the way that they're in a fight 
the way it didn't even look like he looked over to her sorry i know the way that i saw it was like a little of both like i never thought of it as her wanting to have sex with him i thought of it as like oh hey come into bed and let's hang out like i want to you know you know hang out with you and him kind of not really feeling like it but also kind of being into the movie like i don't know that that is necessarily about sex it could it could be sex but it also could just be maybe she wanted to cuddle I, I mean, like her. her I guess she was. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> okay, I pull up the exact thing, and she says specifically, "Do you want to go to bed?" And he says, "Eh, I'm not really tired yet. I slept in today." She says, "Well, we don't have to go to sleep right away." Oh, okay. So, so, and then he's obviously yeah. denying. Like they just came from a fight, right? So he's obviously. I don't know that they were fighting though. That's uh, that's the part that I'm. Like, if you no, I, I don't think they were just fighting before that. I think their relationship overall is just awkward as yeah. it is, and, yeah. and then. You know, I I really don't see this as an intentional fu. I really think that he just has his only real interest in his life is movies and yeah. Western you know media culture. So all these DVDs came in that he was all excited for in the mail earlier that day. Like literally the scene before, he says, you know, oh yeah, I got a package, uh, more DVDs. I don't even remember what movies they are because yeah. that's how many movies he orders. But like that's all his attention goes to is watching this movie. And when his girlfriend tries to come on to him, he's so into the movie he doesn't even notice. Okay, if he's so into the movies, why does he say in one panel? I don't even I don't know more DVDs. I can't even remember what movies they are. Because movies are the only part of his life. That's I, well, like all I get, he has. but I like. If, but I either know. way, what's what's telling is that he's not into her. Yeah, I think yeah. like at this point he's fallen yeah. out of love with her, and like he doesn't, he's not willing to realize it yet like when you when you care about someone even if you think that what they're into is stupid you you can't fake it and like he realizes that later with the younger girl i think at this point he's not into her anymore but, but he's, he's afraid yeah. of change or like he doesn't okay, that's a good think point. about it but. yeah and uh, although like i have my issues i think that is very realistic in relationships sometimes you don't realize that like things are not working and I think that's what's going on, especially with him. He just doesn't see it. But there's no way when your girl asks you, we cannot sleep right now. The thing is, see, say, I, I don't, I don't know. Like, she could have been like, oh, we can watch a movie okay, or whatever. But, well, I feel like be, if she really wanted to have sex, on, she could have okay. went over and like okay, grabbed his shoulders. Let's let's be honest. What was the point that the author is trying to make there? Right? She obviously, I, I really do believe that she wanted him to join her, and he just either because of his oblivious from watching the movies or from just trying to ignore her falling out of love whatever their thing is he did he denied it consciously i do believe that i i I also i think that we're supposed to understand that she wants to have sex like whatever we interpret his refusal as i think it's uh, like yeah i think that's pretty clear yeah okay it's the nipples yeah the nipples (laughs) the nipples sealed it well and she's only wearing her underwear and an undershirt right there like i guess yeah I guess it's just too subtle for me. <laughs> I mean, she says literally we don't have to go to sleep unless they're going to go eat at dinner. Like, I don't know what, what is that? I don't know. Well, that could mean they're going to watch I a mean, movie. I mean, I know. But, it's, <laughs> yeah. but, okay, but it could be a thousand things, but it's like it's pointing to But thing, what right? it is. This is, yeah. not, this is a moot point. This point. <laughs> um, so moving on, another interesting character is his um, lesbian friend. Whose yeah. name escapes me right Alice now? Kim. Alice. Alice. Who's you've told me her name at least four times during this podcast, and I forgot. I forget like each minute. Let's talk about Alice because um, she's got her own shortcomings for sure. Definitely, this is like to me another kind of stereotype is like you know the like lesbian man eater. Like I, I haven't Her man hater right? She's in ma- yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, yeah, yeah. So, I, to me, it's just like her character is so. She's like she she is the um 
the female version of like the playboy like she just like sleeps with every girl she seduces and sleeps with every girl she meets and to me that's just I feel like it's not realistic like I've never met anyone like that it could just be they're out there and I haven't met them but to me I, f- I feel like that's too stereotypical is like the rebellious Korean girl who like is a lesbian and and has decided to take the extreme opposite of what her culture is and just sleep with every girl she possibly can but can we, can we not break down the characters into like whether they're one dimensional or not let's just look at who they are as they're written because the author obviously wrote them the way they, he did for a reason right so let's assume that she just is that person and let's base what we're talking about on that i think it's, it's always tough speculation yeah, sorry, no, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, go ahead. I, I think it's always tough with these peripheral characters because they don't get the, the treatment that they should in the story mm-hmm. um, because, you know, she's not the main character and we don't get to see all sides of her. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if it was the Alice Kim story, is that her name? Yes. Uh, if it was the Alice Kim story, I bet we you would see, be, a more, see more glimpses yeah, of be, it. Yeah, because from my acting days, getting parts that are in, on the peripheral, you're like, hey, why isn't this character written um, more honestly or more three-dimensionally? Or why isn't there this scene in there that shows this side of him? And there's just not enough room for it. And I think that from what you're saying, like th- that this suffers a little bit from that. Mm-hmm. Although not to take away from your feeling about mm-hmm, it. Mm-hmm. But that's something that I want to say about that, yeah. I do think uh, Alice Kim does a good job. Like her character arc overall in the story does you know, si- uh, sort of mimic um, Ben's own character arc in that she also has this coming of age, you know, new understanding, you know, she goes from being that playboy character to actually finding someone she's sort of in love with and wants to settle down with. So I think really that's what these characters are supposed to be. Even the, the girls that he dates only for like, you know, a half a chapter or a couple pages, you know, we're still seeing growth with those individual characters, you know? Um, so I, I think it's all about, you know, reaching these new understandings with yourself. And I think Alice Kim parallels that uh, very well. So, what about the um, the white girls, <laughs> the two blondes in, in the story? Uh, oh, you just talking from before. Yeah, oh, sorry. I wanted to say something about Alice. Um, I have this suspicion that Alice is another aspect of the author, so his own like uh, thoughts. Oh, that's on interesting. Asian, because uh, through their dialogue, a lot, it's almost it, reading uh, when her and Ben talk about various things, like him pursuing girls and whatnot. Um, I feel like those arguments almost happen within the author's own head. Like I feel, I've felt like I've had those arguments within my own head, like the negative aspect of me going, Oh no, it's not going to work. And the positive aspect of it, uh, me going, well, maybe if you try to do something about it, that's a very good point. See, Yeah. I, I feel like when I think about it in that way, then it's like, Oh, okay. Then I can understand maybe why like the characters might seem a little flat because it's just different parts of one person and he's exploring them as characters. And if that's the case, then I, I can, the, my view on like the one dimensionalness of each character mm-hmm. would change. Okay. But, but here's, here's why I don't think she's very one dimensional. The story, the, the title of the story is shortcomings, right? So let's just look at what her shortcomings are. She's very insecure about one. I think her relationships, it's not like she's just sleeping around with people and she's just like, whatever we see with her interactions with that waitress that she, she, on purposely avoids that waitress. There's she, she didn't want attachment, but you know, obviously we don't find out why. But there is that insecurity about her, and, and the fact that she couldn't come out to her parents. Like these are 
real things that real people go through, right? That is not just the like. The, how many gay people are really out there, out like out, right? So it is a very real. I, I feel like it's a very real character. I also I think like she has a, a really violent episode like outside of the frame. Oh of yeah. the, like yeah. she attacks someone else, and I think yeah. that's reflective of like she she is inhabiting a role to a huge extent. Like she's not interested in her degree. She's um like having these not serious relationships but she actually doesn't feel good about it and so she's like when she gives all of that up like i i don't i think it's unclear like whether or not she actually falls in love with the girl in new york um but she does give up playing that the role at least of the academic and playing the role of like the the lesbian who likes to sleep around and doesn't care um but I, I liked Alice was my favorite character in the book and I think that she makes Ben yeah. a lot more palatable uh, I really liked her That's I agree. and she's number one friend ever right yeah <laughs> does she have a love addiction a sex addiction not a sex addiction a love addiction I think she to me it just seems like she's trying to fill some void I think she's feeling from kind her of parents empty. probably maybe yeah it could be the fact that her parents will never accept her and you the don't fact think that, that makes she's three just, dimensional yeah I mean thinking about it Alice is my favorite character I just didn't like the aspect of her being such a playground like to me that was a little off-putting because uh, I you know you I feel like you don't meet even if people are that way there's there they don't show it off so clearly not even to her really good friend I mean I guess it would make sense when you think about it that way um, but but yeah she she is actually I, I do like her as a character I think she is one of the most interesting characters in the story I think what you find off-putting about her is is her shortcoming I think that's the well, point yeah. of her character yeah, you know that, that everyone has that fatal flaw and that's sort of hers you know whatever it was in her past you know maybe it was her parents maybe it was something else um, but whatever it was has created or t- made her into the person she is at yeah. this point and yeah. then we're watching what takes place that li- takes her to the next point you know yeah. I wonder if it was called off-puttings if that would be <laughs> yeah, that, I would like it better. <laughs> um, do we talk about the? I'm talking about the white girls. Okay, we gotta talk about the white girls. Then we gotta move on. Move on to the white girls. Yeah. Okay. Well, my favorite scene is when she walked in and then he like took her shirt down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And was like totally misread all social cues right there. Right. I thought that was awesome. I could see why you didn't feel like they were like fully fleshed out. Yeah. Um. But I thought his relationship with them was fascinating. So what did you guys think? Well, that scene definitely juxtaposed against him rejecting his uh, Miko's mm-hmm. like, mm. offer. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, gives you a little... Uh, well, I mean, it also could just be he was feeling particularly lonely at that time mm-hmm. that she had left. But, I mean, it, either way, I think it's good to think about those two scenes in tandem. Like, there's obviously a lot of difference. That's a good point. Uh, I think the way he's treating the girl in that scene too, you know, she walks in, he takes down her top, starts just, you know, sucking on her nipples. Like, you know, it also is a callback to that scene earlier where his girlfriend found the stash right. of porn DVDs, right. you know, clearly this is the impression that he has, you know, at that point he makes the argument like, well, you know, this is only fantasy. Like that's the point of fantasy is that it's something that isn't. And, you know, he then doesn't really listen to what he's saying and tries to make that fantasy into reality in this moment, which ultimately ends up damaging that whole relationship. Yeah. But also like he, he also wasn't like totally comfortable with it either. Like he, in in all of his conversations about her with Alice and like looking back on it afterwards and, and in his actual relationship with her, he's definitely objectifying her. But then when she's breaking up with him, he makes a big stink about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I just, like, I think it, 
I haven't been able to like sort out the layers in my head, but I think it's really interesting the way like race and superficiality overlay each other in this book. Like he, he only wants to have a superficial relationship and it's intersecting with like this being attracted to white girls thing at the same time. Um, and I think that that makes it really complicated and harder to talk about. And I, yeah. I liked that. And he's also got a kind of a big ego for someone who's like, I mean, insecurity and big ego sometimes like. Yeah. 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 yeah actually that breakup right there, there, that, that breakup right there was probably my favorite part of the book. Um, you know, when she says to him, like, you know, if I, I would tell you everything and give you all the reasons, but if I were to do so, that would just completely break you and like destroy you as a person. And I was like, like that right there is probably like the most effective breakup that I've ever read. (laughs) And it's like so devastating, but he's still like listening to it just doesn't even get the point. Yeah. Yeah. That whole part about him droning on with her about, Oh yeah. You know, that guy has, Asian white girl envy and if I saw another Asian guy with a white girl like we'd have some kind of secret high five yeah, and acknowledge them. how petty was that so yeah well it, it shows that like you know clearly this is something that's on his mind but it's something yeah. that he then assumes is also on everybody else's yeah, yeah. but I, I want to say that I want to make the point clear that it's not like it's specifically a, like a race or him thing that's a very, it's like it's not a him thing, right? It's not just for whatever reason he has this attraction to white women or whatever. It's a very universal thing that's perpetuated by our culture. Like a fetish. It's well, you can say it's a fetish, but I wouldn't say it's a fetish. But it's. I feel like it, universal is a strong. But I mean, yeah. it's it's it's, it's, what, a, it's a phenomenon. It's, it's a it definitely it's happens. What our society perpetuates as the ideal woman, right? Like blondes, blue blue eyed blonde women are like well, like I think one percent of women. In the population, but they're like ninety percent of the newspaper, news, like magazine, media coverage. coverage. So there's something to be said about our society pushing that and you know making that the ideal. What I thought was interesting was uh, kind of we saw sort of the opposite of that later on in the book. You know, he's talking about you know being an Asian guy with a white woman and how great that would be in the whole secret code. But then later on, you know, you see his girlfriend, an Asian girl with a white guy. And that's, like, just totally not okay. And she's, like, so trashy. And she's this huge whore because, you know, she's dating this white guy. And, like, the his own desires are not, you know, it, it's such, like, a, a hypocritical situation, you know, to have these desires yourself but then not recognize that other people can have a similar desire. And, and also not even to be open to the idea that there's more to whatever this guy is than just, you know, at this point he's, you know, obviously insecure about, like, penis size and all that. But, th- you know, this guy has a connection to his culture. You see him speaking the language. You see the way he dresses, the way he acts, the way the apartment's decorated. You know, he's obviously a much better fit for her yeah. and who she is as a person, right. but he, he can't see any of that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it just kind of goes to highlight kind of how clueless he is still. Like, I get that's another thing is I, I it would have been nice to see him have some self-reflection and in the end be like okay I'm kind of a dick maybe I need to do something about it but I don't I didn't get that I like from what I got from the book is he just kind of went back home and he kept living his same old life in the same way I don't know if you guys have seen some growth in him that maybe I'm not noticing I didn't but I don't think that was the point right there's there was 
the book's not called change it's called shortcomings like this is this guy's problem yeah. and this is why he doesn't get over it but i mean i think i th- i still think he does grow though i mean i don't think he's clueless the whole time about this i think he's just in denial mm. because when he gets into that fight at the end with his girlfriend like a lot of the stuff that kind of you know he held back or never said he said so it's not so much that he's clueless it's just that he you know never really he's uh, just in denial he's in denial yeah yeah i think in a way that that airplane ride and the whole idea that when he goes back home everything's just going to be the same i think that right there is indicative of his ultimate shortcoming you know like Mm -hmm. you said he's so in denial and he can't see that other side of himself even when he's completely confronted with it and now he's aware of it he still isn't comfortable enough with himself to be able to address it Mm -hmm. and move forward with his life like you know, I said this is a coming of age, and I think it's a, a coming of age in that he reaches this new understanding, but I don't think he acts upon it. Mm. But, and when we say airplane, what we're referring to, because we didn't explain to our readers, is that in the story, after his experiences with the white women, he, uh, him and his, his friend uh, Alice goes to New York for a, a job, I believe, right? Uh, I think no, she's just, just supposed to take out. a break. Oh, she wants yeah. to yeah, hang out, take a break, but she caught wind of something and called him out there and when he went when he went out there he uh saw his girlfriend uh ex at the time it was like a um, it was like, like a, a break it was, it was a, a very it was yeah, a breakup but he ross didn't, and rachel he, situation he kind of yeah. like interpreted his own way regardless of the fact they were kind of broken up and she he saw her in some modeling pictures then very creepily stalked her for a while. No, he literally stalked her like on the subway and stuff and then finally confronted her in front of her boyfriend uh, outside, which then lead, which led to a huge argument, you know, uh, between him and her, and eventually he uh, take, gets back on a plane uh, to San Francisco, and that's the story literally ends there. Yeah, but uh, that last panel or that last page is like a series of nine. It's, it's on a series of on the plane. Yeah, I'm just explaining for context. No, no, I'm, I just wanted to add more to that because that last page is nine panels showing the whole process of getting to the airport, getting on the plane you know sitting out the window and then going up into the sky and the clouds going by but the entire time it's completely silent you don't get that thought bubble you don't even get him talking to anyone buying a ticket or anything it's completely silent so you know you like i I forget who said it earlier but you're really forced to think yourself and reflect on boy i wonder what is going through this guy's head right now and you know we're kind of given a glimpse of that in the previous conversation where he says he expects everything is just going to be back to normal and how is he ever possibly going to be able to confront the fact that it's not? Like, I, I almost want to see a sequel to this book so that we could see him getting back to San Francisco and his entire life in shambles all around him. I, I want to see how this guy can move forward. I think um, also, I, I just, like, whether or not he's changed, I, I think, like, um, before he leaves for the airport, um, there there's a moment where he tries to wake up Alice to say goodbye, and he decides to let her sleep. And with Alice especially, he's always, like, pushing his issues in on hers. Like, she gets kicked out of school, but he wants to complain to her about what happened to him that day. She wants to go to this party, and he doesn't understand how he's going to pick up a girl at the party that she's going to. And th- this is finally an instance where he lets someone else do something that's good for them, and he doesn't, like, talk at them. Um, so, like, I-, I thought this, like, it's an instance where it's a soundless panel, right? Like, so, uh, like, 
reflecting on what we've all been saying that we don't get interior monologue that we have to kind of figure out what's going on inside people's minds from what we're shown uh, i thought that that was really suggestive of the possibility that he could have grown from the experience and then for the the final panel to have a blank window next to him i thought was also supposed to be suggestive right no, i agree completely and, and i that's why i think that I don't want, I, I'm gonna disagree with you, Travis. Like, I don't think there should be a sequel because I think the the point is to leave it open ended, right? Because it, it's supposed to make you kind of like, to me, that fight at the end with his girlfriend was one of the realest fights I've seen. Like, it, it was, you know, so it, it makes you like he, he doesn't necessarily might change or he might not, but regardless of the fact, he's faced, he's forced to face reality. And he's forced to, to say the things that he's been repressing the whole time. So how he, whether he wants to move on from that, and that that's just the character. But I think the the, the bigger question is like, you know, do we see that in our in ourselves, and how do we, you know how do we handle that kind of situation? Yeah, I, I think I should take back the. I, I don't actually want a sequel. I think that would actually ruin the point of this. But I do. I am very very curious about the character and where he would go from here because you know I think he is a very interesting character. I think the things he's going through, the issues he's confronting, are very universal. And you know to to see that there is then a step forward after this, it, it's just a very very interesting idea to me. And I'd like to see how he starts making that step. Um, so it appears we've come to a natural closing place, and um, I think I would like to ask the question, what do you think Ben's shortcoming is? And I looked it up in the dictionary, and um, a shortcoming is defined as a fault or failure to meet a certain standard, typically in a person's character, a plan, or system. I wanted to jump in and, uh, <laughs> as, as I very cleverly said before, so I want to repeat it, do some Wikipedia-based speculation. Um, uh, Adrian Tomine had been accused of being not reflective enough about race in his previous work. And I think Derek voiced the theory before that we all kind of think is really smart that um, this book also, besides functioning as a narrative, also functions as a way to have interior monologue for the artist between different characters. And I think we could see it as a way for the artist to address his shortcomings in his previous work like and to kind of talk back to his audience like if you saw that as a shortcoming this is me working it out within myself with this new work which i think is on a possible lens to view it through and i thought a really good point no, that's a really yeah. good meta view like that's crazy i yeah. think that's a like if that is what it is then i think that is insanely clever but definitely ben has a lot of shortcomings <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, I think you almost have to answer the question of what is Ben's shortcomings almost from, like, two different perspectives. Like, you almost have to look at it from his own and then from an outside view. And I think from his own perspective, he doesn't really have many. And eventually by the end, he starts to realize that he has this, you know, negativity about him. He has this uh, superficial desire for what the media is telling him is the ideal to sort of live by. Um, but I, I think his shortcomings actually reach further than he himself understands. And I think it all ultimately comes down to his ego and, you know, he has so much, you know, built up and so much at stake in who he is that he kind of shuts everybody else out yeah. against that and can't hear the, the real truth of what they're trying to tell yeah. him about who he is. Yeah, I definitely agree. I think that like one of his biggest shortcomings is that he is so concerned with himself as a person that he doesn't 
he doesn't even see when other people are trying to like make an up, like trying to help him see himself clearly. I would completely agree with that. I honestly, I didn't hear the word hypocrisy, and I was expecting to hear that. And I think that that's being a little bit judgmental, but I think that, um, uh, you know, you can never surmise what the author wants you to think, but, you know, that's the, uh, the story is a successful story if it gets us to be judgmental about Ben and then judgmental about ourselves. Mm-hmm. And why I say um, the word hypocrisy is because, man, that fight at the end, I mean, he just outright accuses her of all the stuff that he was yeah. doing. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, you know, it's he's fake and phony as hell, and and. and and like Kathy said, is concerned with superficial relationships. And um, in the end, like Karen said, as a self-loathing person, those to me are his, his shortcomings. Yeah, I mean, I agree. Like, I think the hypocrisy goes with him not being able to see anything from anyone else's viewpoint. He can only see things through his own eyes. And so obviously, like, he can't see the wrong he's doing. He only sees the wrong that other people are doing. And he can only focus on that because he's so concerned with himself and what's best for him. Yeah, I think uh, to go along with that, he very much always tries to play the victim, even down to the ultimate final breakup when he's standing at her door in tears. He ends up saying, please don't do this to me, not realizing, Mm -hmm. dude, you've done this to yourself every step of the way with every girl you've ever dated. My final point on this is that I I don't want to just talk about Ben's shortcomings. Because I felt like this book was about everyone's shortcomings, right? No character was infallible. Yeah. Even the white girl who left him and didn't tell, say anything. Uh, Miko, who cheated, like, in a way, did cheat on him, never told him anything, yeah. right? Like, everyone had their own problems. It wasn't just all about Ben. So, uh, I feel like overall, this, to me at least, how I interpreted it, the story was just about everyone's shortcomings and how it relates to us. That's one. Uh, Miko's a character that I would have liked to see more of, actually. I, I don't Same. feel like I got to know enough about her then. Like, she didn't feel... She was one person that I could say felt very one-dimensional. Yeah, I actually do agree. Um, but in terms of... Yeah, Ben's... <clears throat> he has a lot of shortcomings. Uh, be it He's self-absorbed. He's negative. But I feel like his biggest fatal flaw is that he's stubborn. Like, he, he refuses to change. And I think that's, that's ultimately his biggest shortcoming. And it's the one that, you know, led him down this path to where, at the end of the story, he's at a much, like, lower point in his life. I feel like. Um, but weren't we supposed to talk about like New York also, the city? Isn't it? Oh, yeah, how this relates to yeah. being a, a New York story. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we would. Okay, I, so, yeah. I did find it. Oh, well, let me pose did, the question first yeah. before we finish. But, you know, how does this, um, well, I'll ask the question, how does it fit into our podcast, which is Memoir in the City, New York Stories by Those Who Live Them, even though it's not a memoir, but that's okay. It's like a memoir. It's memoir-like. And Derek, would you like to answer? Yeah, um, <laughs> I found it kind of ironic that Ben seemed the only person in back in Oakland who wasn't totally obsessed with New York. At least he always comments that, "Oh, why does everyone? Why is everyone so into New York? Why do why do we put New York on this pedestal?" It's kind of ironic when he puts like white women on this pedestal as well, and he but he doesn't see it. You know, um, New York is the I don't know. There's some kind of connection there between people glamorizing New York and him glamorizing like. Yeah, absolutely. I think it all ties back to this whole idea of, you know, the superficial, what, here's what the media tells you is what's great, what you need to go do it. And how many movies, how many TV shows take place in New York City? That's where everything happens. That's where everyone is. And, and, you know, it, it very much goes hand in hand. And I think 
at the end when he ends up moving back, you know, even Alice Kim ends up, yeah, you know what, I'm going to stick around. I'm going to stay here for a while. And he gets rejected almost by New York City, just like yeah. he gets rejected by everything superficial that he's tried to go after. Yeah. That's a good point. Um, did we talk about the airport scene yet? Because I wanted to talk about that. Um, yeah, we talked yeah, about, we talked about the it. Oh, the um, one where his girlfriend is leaving from Berkeley, though. We didn't talk no. about Oh, we didn't talk about that? Okay. No. Yeah, I, I'm trying to find it in the book right now. I'm not sure what page it's on, but um, hopefully maybe someone can find out from me before I'm done blabbing about it. But I guess you know what I wanted to get across about that, and New York being put on the pedestal with what Derek was talking about, and it's page um, 36 and 37. Thank you, Josh. First of all, this is the first time in an American comic I've seen moment-to-moment um, panels. Like panels, really? Yeah. Um, the first time I've seen them. What about you, Kathy? I know you've read, you've read a lot of comics. Well, I, I, yeah, I mean, I think that it, whenever it makes sense to use it, it's... Yeah. I, I mean... It's it's definitely like a, it's a really evident use of it, but I have seen it other places. Um, I've seen it in um, comics from other countries, but not necessarily American comics. But you know, I thought it was used in a, in a really great way here. And um, you know, one thing that I thought about New York was, you know, Miko is going to New York. It's this place where she's going for sort of self enlightenment, and you see this arrow going a certain way um, as she's walking to that part of the airport, and then you see sort of him come this other way away from the arrow away from an own enlightenment um and you know i thought that said a lot about new york as a place and what it meant in the story that you know it's this place where you find yourself and um that's why i thought it again fit into the podcast is because you know ultimately although karen might disagree again like that's that's where he came at this crossroads and perhaps found himself and that was in new york no i found i felt like that was the turning point right mm-hmm. um Especially after the scene when he gets back into his car, he takes a sip of her coffee and then throws it out like he doesn't want it. Um, I, I think for him, it was a decision of, of he could have made it work, potentially. You know, if he, if he followed her, if he did the right things, he, he could have to save that relationship right then. But choosing to walk away right then, I think that sealed the deal in the long run. Yeah, I think it's very, very significant, you know, him walking the opposite direction from that arrow. You know, he's a very regressive character, and I think he always gets to the point of making progress and then regresses back to square one. He, he almost moves backwards more than he moves forwards most of the time. What struck me about New York was how it was a place that meant something to the people that he cared about and he wasn't willing to get on board mm. with that. Um, I, I remember the scene where he first meets Alice and they're riding on the subway and she points out the Brooklyn Bridge out of the window and she says something like, doesn't it make you feel like you're in a movie about realizing what it's like to be Jewish or something like kind of funny like that and yeah. also sort of stereotypical, like a trope of New York. Um, and he doesn't even look out the window. Um, like his his frame, um, so much of this book is like kind of mid-level close-ups of people's faces and people's torsos and a lot of it is like this parade of faces and figuring out what people are thinking but also that means we don't see very far beyond what Ben is thinking about which is like himself and how everyone's being mean to him um so to me New York was like it's another place where um Ben was miserable and wasn't like trying to see from other people's eyes yeah, he never even gave it a chance. Every time they bring it up, he's like, why New York? It's too expensive there. He'd bring up all the points, you know, but it's like... And then he comes here and has it, it, experience. Exactly, but you, you never gave it a chance to begin with, right? So so how's that for a good place to end? Everybody feel like they... That's... It's great. Yeah. All right, cool. 
So, um, again, thank you, everybody, for listening. Um, thank you for listening to another Comics First podcast and all that social media stuff. Like, you can find us on comicsfirst.com, facebook.com slash comicsfirst, twitter.com slash comicsfirst, youtube.com slash TV, where every week we are bringing you video reviews on your favorite comics. So please um, take a look and watch them. And I bet Kathy has a, a special send-off for I us. I do, in fact. Oh, you do? Yeah. Well, okay, thank cool. you for listening to our podcast on shortcomings. I hope that your goings from our podcast are short. See you next Ooh, time. Ooh, <laughs> that was good. Very nice.